Today's episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, Jeffrey. Hello, Eleanor. Uh, hi, everybody out there. So we put out a call for questions about the show, and we got a lot of them. So thank you for that. And today, Jeffrey and I are going to answer some of the questions. Um, we're not going to be able to get to all of them. And also, we planning we're planning on splitting this up into two episodes. So we're going to do some in this session, and then we'll do some more later. Uh, but Mostly I wanted to say that I'm super excited to answer questions and talk about the show now that we don't have to worry about spoilers because it's all over. Yeah, which um, uh, just to really underline that, we will have spoilers. Yeah, this is going to be spoiler filled. Everything, including things that like never ended up in the show, but uh, shaped how we thought about the show. So if you are listening to this and you have (gasps) not finished season five, Turn back now. You have been warned. Yeah. Um, okay, that was your chance. Have you turned back? Okay, great. We're going to keep going. <laughs> We're going to get going then. Um, so, Jeffrey, I wanted to start with a question that is sort of like the one I think I'm most excited to answer. All right. Which uh, Yami was kind enough to ask us. Was the ending always what happened? Did it change in any way over the course of the five seasons? Oh, boy. Because here's the thing. I feel like people have been asking us, do you know how it's going to end from the very beginning? Oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) We get that question all the time. Mm -hmm. And I have answered it differently over the last five or six years, depending on different things. (laughs) (laughs) And now I feel like I can give like the most honest version of the answer to this question. Absolutely. Okay, so I think here's my take on it, Jeffrey, is I feel like when we started the show, we had some really clear ideas of what where we wanted to get to at the end of the show. Yeah. And they included things like uh, we wanted to reconcile 
the entity and the supernatural in Mount Absalom with itself and with the town. Mm -hmm. Right. Like we really pivotably, I think we all knew at the very beginning that we were headed towards an ending that was like sort of a happy resolution not your classic horror film, like everything goes terribly wrong and everybody dies. Yeah, or or notably not um, like the evil is defeated yeah. kind of ending. Yeah. We were looking for a like, how do you solve this problem in a way that involves like diplomacy and everybody getting to be a stronger better version of themselves at the end what what is the what is the version of the ending that comes about because everyone got the therapy they needed yeah yeah (laughs) um so i think that was a thing we were always in agreement about i think i also felt pretty strongly that lily was gonna be the catalyst for whatever that thing was Mm mm-hmm that Lily as our protagonist character was going to have to be the one who sort of like lands that plane. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That was something that like, I I don't know. We, we struggled a lot with that. I think because there was this knowledge of, you know, this is in many ways a story about centering Lily and dot um, and also not wanting to create a generational chosen one narrative. Yeah, totally. You know, it didn't want, we we wanted it to not be that Lily is destined to become the next caretaker or, or that solve she's this stuck problem. In it, that yeah. she doesn't have a choice. Like a lot of, the, which I feel like are archetypes that come up in these kinds of stories often. Um, and there were definitely, I feel like there were definitely moments over the course of the five seasons where somebody would come in the room and be like, okay, just kidding. What if it was this other character who, you know, lands the plane, finishes mm-hmm. the, and I, I remember kind of having conversations where we'd be like, well, what if, what if that changes and kind of always coming back to like, no, it has to be Lily. It has to be Lily. I feel like um, uh, Jess Buha as a writer was really good at advocating for the centrality of Lily and for her as a kind of a tentpole. Yeah. Another thing that I remember very clearly agreeing to at the beginning was that Dot would not die. Yes. That was always a, a thing that was really important that this not be, even if it was about in some ways passing a torch generationally, it was not about, it was not about, Dot's death. And I think in large part because at the beginning we spent so much time talking about how we wanted to discuss dementia and Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. And we were all very, I don't, I should just speak for myself. For me, it was really important to make space for how long the process of losing someone to dementia is. Yeah. And we knew pretty early on that the story was going to take place over about a year and a half. And which is in in case you didn't notice that the story takes place about over the course of about a year and a half. Um, And, and that that's not enough. It doesn't, it doesn't, that's not how dementia actually works. You don't have your kind of first signs and then a year and a half die. You, it lasts a really long time, and that's part of what is so tragic and scary about it. Well, and especially in the case of Dot, who is um, has early onset is Alzheimer's. Pretty young, yeah. yeah, she's she's in her early sixties, and um, 
it was important that she remain um, both a character in the narrative and, uh, you know, we very intentionally left kind of open threads so that the world could, you, you could see the world continuing on um, because that's how real life works. And we wanted to kind of mirror that. And it was important that um, Dot continue to be a full character and someone who could go on and have these wonderful adventures traveling the world and things like that. Okay, so is there anything else that you remember at the very beginning? We were like, this is how this story will end? Well, okay, so because I mean... Because I'm running out of them. <laughs> sure. So so here's here's the big one that we've never had a chance to talk about that like we, we thought in the beginning and eventually ditched um, is that uh, when we first were developing this idea... So uh, just to make really clear, when I say the entity, that that is a kind of internal word that we've used uh, in the writer's room for the the thing that is under the town. It's what what uh, Dot calls blooms. Calls blooms, throughout. yeah. Uh, well, uh, some people just refer to it as the town. The town, um, the one who blooms. Uh, Thy green and growing arms, any of these names that various characters, because not no one in the story actually knows what the truth of it is. Yeah, so um, we there's there's a couple of terms we'll probably define as we talk today that are yeah. like our backstage names for this stuff. Yeah, but yeah, the entity is probably the biggest one that yeah. like we throughout talked about it as being kind of a singular presence mm -hmm. that we refer to as the entity. Yeah, so. When the the one of the seeds of a story that I was really interested in telling with Unwell is what happens when a kind of um, elder god, cosmic, you know, in in the kind of cosmic horror sense of you know Cthulhu or um, one of these unknowably large uh, entities. Um, a thing that cannot die, what happens when it does start to die or it does start to, its mind starts to decay. And so like when, when we were first putting together the show, um, we were working with the idea that Dot had dementia, but also this kind of elder god creature intelligence below the town also had dementia. And that was really interesting, but what we realized it was is it was starting to um, get confusing and difficult and distracting from the much more important story we were telling about Dot and her dementia. And it, it, it led to these questions of like, oh, okay, is this caused by, is Dot's dementia caused by the entity? Is, you know, what of yeah, these that's an, are that, caused by what? I remember that piece of the conversation is we had an interesting moment where we like really reckoned with, is Dot's dementia mundane or magical? Yeah. And... And it was really important for us that it be mundane. And ultimately deciding that it being mundane was more interesting mm -hmm. 
made more sense for the story we were trying to tell and ultimately like closer to the experience we all had with dementia and family members mm -hmm. and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that was a big thing that shifted and, um, God, I forgot about that. Yeah. I mean, that yeah. happened, that happened really early, really early. Um, I mean, so if the question is like, what did you know at the beginning? I would say this is definitely some, that's definitely a piece. I yeah. feel like we worked out in the writing of season one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, there are a lot of things that are kind of like, and we've talked about this some before, but like what the show is about that shifted, uh, oh, like you know, thematically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that definitely colored how the show ended and what, what the moving pieces were, you know, uh, but yeah. ultimately, like, I think the thing I would say is. So we've new enumerated a number of things that we knew at the beginning. And so mm -hmm. it, you, like people always used to ask us, do you know how it's going to end? And I would say yes, mm -hmm. because I felt like those key signposts. Yes, we did. We knew where we were going. We had a we we said, you know, we're, we're driving to California. We're going to get there eventually. Like mm -hmm. we had that plan. And also, there's also another version of the story, which is like, we had no idea how we were going to get there. Yeah. We had some kind of signposts of like, we know we have to make these big story reveals mm -hmm. before we can get to the ending. But like, man, there are just really large sections of the story that I remember walking into the writer's room and going, I really don't know how we get from here to there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, particularly heading into season five. Yeah. Um, we, I remember bringing the writers together. It was the first time we'd all been in a room together since I think before COVID. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We had not all been in a room together for years at that point yeah. and all getting everybody together and kind of walking into that room and going, I don't know if we can do this. I, I, I don't know how we get from here <laughs> to there and everybody going, yeah, me neither. Uh -huh. And then. We figured it out. Like yeah. it was like that, that that aspect to it. Like in like <clears throat> dear listener, I'm excited to kind of like share that like, yes, some of it was like jumping out of the airplane and being like, I hope this parachute works. <laughs> <laughs> or boy, boy, I hope we can figure out how to design a parachute on, on the, the way, way down. down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and luckily, like we have a brilliant team that yeah. we worked with, and I believed in our ability to figure it out. But man, yeah, some of it. Occasionally, I'd be like, "Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how we're gonna do it. Well, I guess we'll see." Yeah, you know, I think the other um, the other thing that I want to uh, share is uh, from from season one. Um, and this is, you know, obviously too uh, over the top and like saccharine to actually show up in the script. But the we we knew, okay, we have this very adversarial and fraught and difficult place where Lily and Dot start at the beginning, and the emotional beat that. I always wanted to be able to hit by the end of season five was for Dot to be able to look at Lily and say, uh, if I had a daughter, I hope she would be like you. Um, that kind of deep love 
that um, exists despite, um, because of, alongside of this uh, really difficult illness. And I think that with our actors and writers, we got to a place where the affection and um, complication and, uh, I don't know. I mean, honestly, you have mentioned that a number of times. Like, I feel like that, I have always known that that's, that's a touch point for you mm -hmm. of like kind of where you wanted that relationship to get. So the fact that I know that means that probably all the writers did too. Like, it, it's definitely something we've talked about a number of times. And I think Bilal wrote you that moment in the finale. Mm. Like that moment where Dot says, I could forget everything else, but I don't want to forget you. Yeah. yeah. Like, I, there is a way in which I think Bilal did in fact figure mm -hmm. out how to put that emotional yes. beat. Yes. With much better words. Right. Exactly. Like, that's why writers. <laughs> right. Like, like, I think uh, there is that we got there. Mm -hmm. We got to yeah. see that arc from the beginning to the end of yeah. how Dot and Lily get to relate to each other. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Shall I ask another question? Yeah. What's oh, up Oh, I next? forgot the cat was hiding behind you. Hello, cat. We are recording in my home studio, which means the cats are the here. cats are everywhere and maybe participating. Okay. Alex asked, uh, "What was the shimmering essence that was in the trace amounts of celery soda, and what did that contribute to the town taking care of its people?" This fucking oh, question, Jeffrey. <laughs> great question. So I, I sort of feel like I want to talk a little bit about like how shit like this gets in the story mm -hmm. yeah. and then talk about like what my logic of it is. So, so that was, <laughs> that was an element that was introduced by Jessica Wright Buha and first designed by Alexander Danner. Mm -hmm. And it's, I feel like it is really notably that episode is early enough in the show that it was still at a point where we were putting new things in. Mm -hmm. And then there turned a corner at some point where I remember being like, we are not allowed to put anything new in the world. Yes. You have to use the things that are already there. <laughs> and um, and I, w I feel like I want to admit that this is one of the tools in the toolbox that we like put into the story that we never really... Like, we never came back to it. We never oh, really... Oh, that's not true at all. Well, okay, you talk... Yeah. It feels to me like we never really did anything that's, with it. No, that's very fair, but it is an element that shows up um, throughout the sound design as mm. an underpinning layer. That's, And yeah. so it, it was originally, actually, it, it originally was the shimmering dust in the air in the chapel... Um, yep. as Lily uh, is lowered into the chapel and um, then shows up again in the um, the uh, pipes and the... The celery um, soda episode celery is soda. the one where like it is named. Yeah. Like we kind of notice it and acknowledge mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Uh, but then... Um, it while it doesn't show up in the script, it sneaks into all kinds of places where the entity is 
more present. And the hope is that after encountering it and kind of having it pointed out several times, this uh, you you start associating that sound the the sparkly um, or um, you know to quote the adventure zone the crinkle tinkles. Um, <laughs> that is what it sounds like. You're right. Yeah, that's it's, yeah. that's that's yeah. how I always uh, uh, kind of cached it away in my mind. Uh, it shows up all over the place um, in the sound design when we wanted to very directly say this is a location that is one step more like touched by the entity. Right. It has like a physicalness mm-hmm. that that brings you closer to the magic of the entity. Yeah. Um so Well and and so I think <laughs> let's see if let's, we both explain it the same way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the um the physicality of the entity. For me it was really important that we never like see with yeah. scare quotes the entity. We I feel like you and I had a disagreement early on about whether or not the entity has a physical presence mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. And I thought that it did. Uh-huh. And I had a vision in my head that at some point before the end of the story, we would, again, this is one of these like bad idea first, kind mm-hmm. of like your like Lily dot moment you just told. Yeah. But like one of my kind of like touch points early on was like, oh, okay, by the time we get to the end of the story, we'll have a moment where like Lily is standing in a cavern and she can put her hand out and touch it. Yeah. And again, it's one of those things where it's like, well, that didn't happen, but also it kind of did. Yeah, so like- <laughs> no, very much did. Um, well, and I think, you know, the, the things that I want to avoid, because I did... I, and I think this will play into some later questions, but like, it was very important for me never to close off what the entity was. I think it's ultimately unimportant. Yeah, and this is why we stopped having the fight. Yeah. Was because I think we both came to a point where we were like, I don't think the answer is important. Yeah. It's, it is not important to me whether the entity is a, an alien, a fallen angel an elder god a um uh, a chthonian deity like any of these could be true and and that doesn't actually affect how the story works so right. it it can be any of those and and so, at any time i thought that if we um if we could actually see it we would kind of have to answer that question right right it would become too specific what are the sparkle crinkles? The sparkle crinkles. Okay, so yeah. here's what how I understand it is that one of the key things we establish early on is that the entity is a creature of the water. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> this is part of how it expresses like the the water, the stones thing is related to this, but this idea that like there is water running under the town, and the entity largely can show up in places where there is water. Mm-hmm. And the sparkle crinkles, if we will, are intended to be a representation of like what is it that's in the water? It's the yeah. it's the actual physical representation of what it means for the entity to be in the water. Mm-hmm. That's my understanding of it. That's how yeah. I would explain it. Um yeah, I I I had always thought of it as kind of um pretty literally the mineral deposit that that is sloughing off the entity or that is the entity and is kind of um getting into 
the water and thus into all of the people and the world. Yeah, I think that's about right. Um, so what did that contribute to the town taking care of its people? I, uh, I feel like we're going to come back around to this idea of like, why did the town take care of its people and what's that about? I'm not sure that the Sparkle Crinkles are specifically doing much no, of anything. No, no, I think that was that was the theory um, that, that some person in the town had. Yeah, that the um, yeah. the people who made the celery soda thought. Um, but that was one of many spaces where I think um, I don't know if it was exactly that they were wrong, but they didn't have the full picture, and so we we tried to have each character, you know. Um, have uh, some piece of the puzzle and yeah. and was trying to like w was often building from incomplete information and creating something they thought they was tr that was true Alex asks how does the one who blooms decides who needs taking care of and what persona to take on Jeffrey, how does the entity work? Oh boy. Okay. So um the I, I, I feel like if you had asked me the question, I would also be doing this. Where your brain goes, okay, hold on. Uh where do I start? Yeah. Where's right? the beginning of the story? Uh <laughs> well, and, and and I guess I also want to say that like um this is how we conceived of it. And I think one of the interesting things about this story is that you can have a completely di different interpretation of how this was all working. And as long as it still aligns with the text as, you know, it exists. Um, yeah, I'm not going to tell you you're world. wrong. Yeah. Well, yeah. and like, I think also um, it's part of why it was so much fun to write this really diverse town full of people whose relationship to the entity was all different mm -hmm. because everybody's gets to have their own understanding of what's going on here. Absolutely. And yet when you run a writer's room and you're trying to write a story, you have to have a coherent logic. Things need to be internally consistent. Yeah. Like so we, that, we had to yeah. have a theory of the case of, so I knew, I knew there's a, we have a show Bible floating around somewhere that has a section that's just titled, what the fuck is really going on here? <laughs> and I feel like that's what we're about to do is that spiel. Yeah. Well, and, and maybe what I want to say about that is that that is a skeleton over which we like hope that listeners have draped their own meat. Uh, <laughs> by happy, which happy spooky. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, but like like we we tried to create a consistent set of facts and you can draw your own conclusions from those. All right. Anyway. Caveat's done. Do you want to take a stab or Yeah, try? let me okay. let me take a first stab. Okay. Um so we have a, a a entity which is larger than um, anything conceivable by a human consciousness. It is alive and intelligent, but is is at such a different scale that it cannot interact with humans directly. And I think about this largely as time scale, mm -hmm. in the way that it would be very hard to talk to a fruit fly about sure. what their life is like. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Any any um, uh, like kind of complicated thoughts uh, that we would want to try to um, impart to a fruit fly, it, you know, its life is too short. It would be over too quickly. Um, 
So uh, it, it is also the, the way we eventually really locked in on it is that the, um, the entity is in the level at which it can interact and be recognizable to humans is an emotional one. Um, so how does a creature that has emotions, um, and has thoughts, but cannot directly interact, um, the entity was kind of always filter feeding from memories of the town. So we would talk about the relationship between the people in the town and the entity as being symbiotic. Yeah. That the entity draws great joy, great comfort, sustenance off of the memories and awareness of the people in the town. And then in in turn, the entity feels as though it's sort of responsible for making sure that, you know, all these folks who live around them can continue to thrive. Sure. Well, and, and notably, the entity is not consuming or taking memories from people. Um, the entity, uh, and, and again, we joy is exactly the right word, is not, it is, does not need the memories to survive uh, it is not eating them. It is it is experiencing them, and that gives it joy. And so, it wants to create an environment in the town that is as good as possible for people to want to um, come and uh, and live there. Yeah, live there. And 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 notably, like it's not a world in which like. Oh, like people come and and the entity can't let them leave because it actually really benefits from people going out into the world and bringing memories back from all over. But once it has experienced those memories, it can create them in the real world. And we called those figments, um, quoting, that's, that's actually a term stolen from uh, the double fine... I believe, game Psychonauts. Yep, definitely um, didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> Jeffrey apparently t- took that word from somewhere. Yeah, yeah. well, so, yeah, our internal word for ghosts was a figment. And because a- we were looking for a way to distinguish them from ghost ghosts. Yeah. That, like, everybody in the town thinks of them as ghosts, but as a writer's room, we were like, I mean, they're not really ghosts. And 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 a figment could be a person, it could be an animal, it could be a, a thing, a, thing, um, a building... Um, you know, there are several very obvious figment buildings and some that are a little more subtle. Jess Buha at one point wrote a scene where there was figment Velveeta cheese. There was. Oh. We cut that, but it was real oh, funny. Oh, <laughs> I love the Velveeta cheese scene. Uh, ghost cheese. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Um, no, but uh, so. So how does how does the entity, the one who blooms, going back to Alex's question, mm-hmm. decide who needs to needs taking care of and what persona to take on to do that? So I I think it ultimately wanted to care for everyone in the town. Mm -hmm. And we got to see um, a few of its kind of chosen uh, figment avatars that were used to care for people. I think the, you know, um, Wes being a really obvious one when Dot needed help, uh, it created Wes from the memory of Theodore Wesley from the 50s. Of this, of this kid who ultimately wanted to help people. Yeah. That like, I think when you go to the episode where we go back in time and we see Wes mm-hmm. as a real boy, 
<laughs> not, a, not a figment, not a ghost. Mm-hmm. Um, we The story that we tell there is one of like, this kid was really motivated by, I want to help people and yeah. I want to be of service. Mm-hmm. And then that being this memory that the entity holds on to of like, this is a thing that a person can be. And then reaches for, you know, reaches for how can I help Dot in this time yeah. of need and what, what, you know, it's like you put your hand out and go, what do I have in my inventory that can help with this? Mm-hmm. Oh, here we go. I have this, I have this teenager who who's good at helping. Okay, we'll try this. Yeah, yeah. I think there's, there's a metaphor used at one point about the junk drawer and you kind of reach yeah. in and you find oh, there's like 15 screws in here and this one looks like the right size and so I'll try to use that. Um, and I think we often would talk in the writer's room about the entity being not a logical thing but an emotional thing. Mm-hmm. That like, you know, <laughs> as, a, as a room full of writers and creators, like we would often sit in the room and be like, okay, well, to solve this problem, you would need to do X and then Y and then Z. And then often someone would go, no, 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 no. That's not how the, that's how we, with our human brains would want to solve the problem. But the Mm -hmm. entity, what does it mean to kind of react with like the first emotion you feel? Yeah. Which is like, oh no, I got to do something. Or like, ah, I'm scared of that. Mm -hmm. Or like, you make me feel alone. Like what, what is the sort of first blush emotional reaction and what might it look like for this, this creature with these weird powers to kind of like pull on memories to solve those problems, which is, Mm -hmm. I think why sometimes they don't totally make sense. Yeah. And like the thing about the wolves is very much like we've turned a corner and things have gotten really scary. And the entity is like, I'm scared. I need to protect myself. Mm -hmm. And it's not, it's not a very grounded or like useful response, but Mm -hmm. it is, it is a true one. Yeah. Or the flooding. I mean, the or flooding, the flooding is, like is yeah. also like that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I think, I think that answers our question is like, how does it decide and what persona it's like, mm-hmm. some of it makes sense and some of it doesn't really. Yeah. Some of it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Some of it is, is, is reacting on, on first emotion. Yeah. Which can be tough. All right. I'm going to end with what I think is a slightly lighter and easier question. Heck yes. Taylor says, if I want an unwell tattoo, but I have no idea what to get, what would you recommend? Oh. Okay, so I feel weird about telling somebody I've never met on the internet what to put on their body. <laughs> but I do feel like you and I could have a really fun conversation about, like, what what unwell tattoo might you get? Yeah. And my, might I get? And listener, feel free, like... Take any of these ideas you want or none of them. Uh, someone We don't know you in your life. <laughs> yeah, but honestly, the idea of someone getting uh, an unwell-based ta- tattoo is just like the most incredible thing. I love tattoos. I have lots of them. I have thought a lot about my own unwell tattoo. It's coming, um, I'm sure. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. So my first reaction is I feel like I might reach towards something that plays with the imagery of birds and wolves. Yeah. Like that's a thing we have played with throughout the show. Is mm-hmm. this, is that a, of, as sort of like a dichotomy of the, of the entity's inner turmoil. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. I always, I always loved that for a while. I, I was like reaching around for some kind of merch design that would, use that interplay in a way that was sort of evocative of like tarot cards. Mm -hmm. 
but it never really came together. So, you know, like, but that, that is definitely a thing that I feel like I, if I, if I was going for a tattoo, it might be mm-hmm. something in that direction. Yeah. Yeah. Um, birds and wolves, um, you know, a lot of mine have involved actual wells that I've thought about. You know, I think, mm-hmm. I think, um, the, uh, the symbolism of the, the kind of groundwater and, um, the, the reaching into the deeps, the depths for something, um, life-giving, but that you can't really see is, um, pretty yeah. deeply ingrained in the show. Yeah. Um, also, I do think there are um, some really lovely quotes that could be partnered with uh, images of celery stalks. Celery, spicy, <laughs> celery, cool. Oh, I was um, going to – so I have in my home, I have a piece of fan art that somebody drew that I printed out that is an illustration of Dot's quote. Mm. Um, uh make like a dung beetle and just keep like when life gives you shit, make like a dung beetle and just keep rolling. Uh-huh. And man, I, I like, it's one of these things that I look at it all the time and I'm like, fuck yeah. Yeah. Just keep, just keep rolling. <laughs> uh, if you do, or if anyone ends up getting oh, an unwell tattoo, know. please let us oh see my God. it. Cause that's just the coolest I, it thing would, in the world. It would make me so happy to know about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. All Mitten, right. Do you well, have any thoughts? Uh, the cat does not seem to have any thoughts, but I'm glad we checked. Um, all right, let's let's take a pause here. I yeah. we have more questions that we're gonna answer in the in the future times, um, and you'll get to hear soon. But this seems like a good stopping place. Jeffrey, thank you. Thank you, Eleanor. All right. And thank you all of you for sending in your questions and for listening. We'll see you next time. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish.